Welcome to the Heart to Heart Walk podcast. On this walk, I have the privilege of spending time walking with some really amazing people and living with them in camps. We've all gotten to know each other pretty well. And one thing I have learned about everybody on this walk is they've all got an amazing story behind where they're at today. And today's episode is no exception. These are all pretty humble people and they really don't like talking about themselves. But in this episode, I was trusted to record the story of Peter Forbes. Peter is a former Australian Federal Police Officer with a really diverse career ranging locally in Australia and internationally. Peter's done everything from police rescue operations, tactical operations as a sniper team leader, close personal protection, highway patrol, you name it. And that's just in Australia. What he got to do overseas will uh, literally blow your mind. Here's another story behind one of the walkers. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of the Heart to Heart Walk podcast. In these episodes, we get to hear from everyday people who've done extraordinary things and how sometimes that can be hard on them and their families, which is what this walk is really about. So get ready to hear some amazing stuff from amazing people. So I'm not actually 100% sure how to start this one because this is the first ever fireside chat. Yeah, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it's been... It's been bloody awesome to be with the people that we've been with, I think, for the last couple of weeks for me. I've, I think I've missed it. I've, I think I've missed it more than I realised, actually. Um, just that companionship with the people. Camaraderie. Yeah. You know, you know how you have an instant... I don't, I don't know whether bond's the right word, but you've just got uh, an instant sort of... Um, yeah, companionship with someone that you know has got a similar background. I don't know why. I don't know why that is the way it is, but anyway. I better formally introduce you. So, uh, Forbesy, thanks very much for coming on the hot debrief. Um, pleasure to be here. So we're out at, I'm going to botch the name of this place again, Algebikina? Algebikina. Algebikina Bridge on the Udnadatta track south of Udnadatta in an old dry creek bed. Um, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't dry a couple of weeks ago, but it is now. And uh, here we are by the fire having a chat. So I know a little bit about you so far. I guess the couple of weeks that I've come to know you, I've, uh, I've enjoyed your company as I have everyone else's. And um, yeah, I can't wait to hear a bit more about your story, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, so... Um, I guess winding it right back to the start, where did you grow up? I was born and bred in in Cronulla, in right. Sydney, so Sutherland Shire, um, 1964. Uh, and, yeah, pretty much the family lived and worked in the Sutherland Shire and in the, the south and eastern suburbs of Sydney. 
I went to school uh, at uh, at first Ingadine and then De La Salle, Caringbar and Cronulla. Yeah, right. So very uh, Catholic upbringing, Catholic uh, family. Yeah, and yeah, that was all fine. That was good. You know, very good schools. Yeah. Um, and it was very beachy lifestyle, so I grew up like surfing. Um, right. And a surf you wouldn't life pick that up. now. No, I didn't. Yeah. Why? What do you, you say? You look like a bush kid. Is my blonde hair gone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, anyway, it was. Uh, I would have picked it for a bush kid, to be honest yeah. with you. There you go. No, I, I think I was a bush kid at heart, definitely. Right. But it definitely, you know, we used to go surfing before school, after school. You know, it was that beach culture um, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on weekends, yeah, we used to go bush. Um, right. Back in the days, you'd you'd have a rifle. Everyone had a rifle back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back when I was like 18, 19, and you'd um, happily travel over the mountains from Sydney over to Bathurst and, yeah. and and knock on farmers' doors with your rifle, you know, to say who you are and what you wanted. We're just shooting rabbits. If you have a rabbit problem, we're happy to help. And they often said, yes, we have a rabbit problem. Go for it. Go camp down here. You know, don't shoot the tanks or the sheep. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, and you'd have a great time just shooting and skinning rabbits and um, for a couple of days and then... Yeah, right. Yeah. How good's that? Nice break from the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I obviously had a pretty similar... Uh, uh, well, childhood, I guess, growing up in Bathurst. So, um, yeah, I grew up out in Bathurst. So, yeah, definitely. Um, nearly every one of my mates had a gun and... Yeah, even when the licensing stuff started to get a little tighter, you always knew someone you could still go and buy bullets from and bits and pieces from. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time, I think. Yeah. We so used, used to go to a place called Wiseman's Creek, which is between Bathurst and Oberon. Yeah. Beautiful yeah, right. area where the, a particular friend, we had a particular friend who had a property. Yeah, right. So we just kept gravitating back to that area. Yeah, you did mention Oberon before. I didn't know the attachment to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a friend had a property. Was the origins of it. Once you find somewhere you like, you know, you just keep going back. Yeah, within reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, did you you saw your high schooling out over in the eastern beaches there, or? Yeah, De La Salle, and then yeah. I went to uni. Uh, I always wanted to be a scientist, so yeah, I studied. Yeah, I, I studied science at uni, and I was getting paid um, in a job as an industrial chemist, as all things, which was, you know. Not bad. Uh, anyone would say it was good money and a good career, but I, I just hated the work. The work was... Right. The study was good. I didn't mind the theory of science, but the work was devoid of any... I don't know, any personal contact, anything that excited me right. at all. Yeah. You know, and I hated the work in the laboratory. It was dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a friend of mine, um, uh, which we mentioned, Anthony Bunyan. Yeah. Uh, we were working out of the gym one day, and he said, I'm... I'm he was also involved in a, a, an industry that he said was not really fulfilling his needs. Okay. He said, I'm thinking about joining the police. And I thought, and then this bell went off in my mind like this. And I thought, yeah, what a great idea. What year was this? This would have been about 1985. Okay. Four, five, 1985. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and, um, and that's, that's, I remember that day in the gym when he said that, and that's when the bell the 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 seed was was right. struck and um, Anthony went on to join the New South Wales Police and then I uh, not long after I tried to join the New South Wales Police but then the uh, they had a freeze on recruiting at the time yeah okay that went for five years so unfortunately 
uh, I sought some advice and they said, um, join the federal police. Right. And that's how it worked out. And yeah, I, I was wondering what took you there. Yeah, okay. Yes. Policing in the family or anything like that? Or? No, no, nothing at all. No, police. My dad was a printer. Um, wow. And and mum was just a house mum. Yeah. Um, so there was, and uncles and aunties. No, there's no policing there. It's just. Uh, I've got an uncle that's been a life, yeah. career printer, yeah. But I think I like. I was fairly athletic and I just enjoyed helping. Well, you know, you, you want to get in and help people, and, and, and that sounds so. Yeah. You know, <laughs> kitsch, I suppose, is the right... Well, I'm not sure what the right word is, yeah. but uh, it is true. It is true. Um, yeah. You do get excited about helping people. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's how it ended up. Um, and I, I, I walked in one day to my job as an industrial chemist in, uh, in at um, Botany in Sydney. I said, I'm resigning. Yeah. And they said, oh, really? Uh, are you going to another company? I said, no. Is, can we give you more money? And I said, look, no, I'm, I'm, this, I'm going to be a policeman, and that's it. And they said, oh, okay, we understand. All right, yeah, right. There's, there's nothing we can we yeah. can offer you more yeah. to stay. No, and I said, no, I can't. No, it's just, just different. Yeah. Yeah, really? Wow. So what was the AFP uh, pathway like? I obviously know what the New South Wales pathway was like, but what was that like? A bit. Uh, so we, I went to an interview in at Redfern, yeah. in Sydney, and they and the TNT Towers there, and they they screened a lot of. You did these this this, this uh, testing, uh, which was all. Uh, I don't know how you describe it. Just general knowledge testing, math yeah. and English and stuff like that. And um, you did, you did, I just sat down and did all this testing, and then there was maybe twenty or thirty people there. Let's call it 30, doesn't matter. And they said, right. At the end of it, they obviously had all the answers pretty well sorted. So about half an hour later, they said to the class group, right, all these names, come out here and go over here. And I was left behind. I thought I should have failed. Yeah. But no, I was... There was, there was about a third of us left behind, I okay. suppose. And we were the ones who were selected. Yeah, but right. I thought, oh, I've got to fail. Um, and that was it, really. You smoke getting out there? No, it's all right. No, it's all good. The um, and then and then we did some phys uh, some other. They did some background checks and things yep. like that, which were reasonably minimal minimal back in those days. Yeah. And then you're in. They gave me a letter saying, "Please shop the Barton Police College on this date. This is when you start your training." Yeah. Okay. Is it okay. a big academy? No, no, no. Not comparatively to like Vicpol. I've been down to Vicpol. Yeah. That's that's huge. Yeah. You know, and the and the the culture and the uh, history there are massive. You know, yeah. and they put through. You know, Barton in Canberra is, is is very small in comparison. Right. I've been up to New South Wales at Goulburn there too, and that's that's quite big. Yeah. That's where you would have yeah, your training. That's right. you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing, but Canberra is very small, and and and. Yeah, I think it doesn't it have be. that culture. Yeah. You know, that real. They don't have the pass through sort of demand, do they? Uh, no, no. So, but nonetheless, it was a good experience. Yeah. A great experience. Uh, I learned how to iron a shirt for the first time in my life because mum. Ah, you're surfy. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, mum yeah. had been doing it. I have to confess. Yeah, well, prior course. to that, yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had to be shown. How was she with that? That's a very different career line to yeah. the family sort of. Part the like. A bit scared. Yeah. She was a bit worried about my choices there. Yeah, I don't doubt it. She, there's no way she would get in my way about it, but because yeah. you know, I was fairly determined. Once I had that, as I mentioned before, the seed in my mind that this is what I was going to do, yeah. there was nothing going to stop me. Yeah, 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 right. 
Um, How long was the academy time? Initially, it was 13 weeks. Um, back in the day, it was 13 weeks initially, and then you did another... You went out and you came back for another month. Okay. Um, so, very... Not a lot of training compared to what they do now. I, I believe it's more like six months. Yeah. So, it was like 13 weeks, three months to start with. Go out, come back for one month, and then you're sort of on an internship for... You're an intern for a little while. Yeah. Not long. And then, you, then you're fully fledged. So do you have to go uh, in the AFP pipeline? Obviously, there's so many, like even international roles that AFP cover. So do you get the choice of going to like general general policing, general duties in Canberra or down a different path? You do. Or, yeah. Well, well you, they, you get offered choices. You're not necessarily going to get them. So when they offered me a choice during the training, they said, "Oh, well, you know, put down here what you wanted, where you want to go." Yep. AFP has roles all over Australia. Yep. You can't say, I want to go to Paris straight away, of course. <laughs> um, so a lot of people choose where they came from. And I did choose. I said I wanted to go back to Sydney. Sydney, yeah. And they said, no. Um, right. We've come back with your choices. You said, we want you to stay in Canberra. Okay. And do general dues policing. And I went, oh, okay, all right. Well, I'm a bit not, not sure about that, but all yeah. right, I accept that. And the training continued. And later in the training, they said to me, Actually, it was about another four weeks later, five weeks, doesn't matter. They said, oh, we've found a spot for you in Sydney if you want. And I said, no, no, I've actually got used to the idea of going to Canberra Okay, now. yeah, right. So I want to stay in Canberra. And that was a, a, a very good choice on my part, I must say. Right. To stay in Canberra was fantastic. You know, in uni to go into uh, uniform policing yep. rather than into uh, the other side of the AFP in Sydney was a good choice for me. Yeah, right. How long did you do GDs for? Or did you, GDs, I assume you started, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did GD, uh, general duties, community policing for about three years, gen right. general duties, and then quickly went into traffic. Yep. Um, and I was on a motorcycle police officer for about four years after that, which was fantastic. I really loved that, because you're by yourself. You yeah. Know, you, you run your own show, um, <laughs> and, and, and where you go yeah. and what you do is up to you. Uh, I loved working by myself. Yeah, in the I did too. Yeah, yeah don't know why. I, I went out of my way to go to single unit police station, so I, I, I don't know whether it's so I'd be left alone or... I don't know, I just used to like being on the road on my own. Yeah, didn't have anyone else's needs to deal with on your shift. It was like just what you've got on and what comes up. Yeah, that's all you got. Yeah. I think I liked that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like that too. Yeah. Um, and so, like, being on the motorcycle, obviously you're by yourself, and it was very good. And then, uh, the uh, during that time when I was on the bike, I joined the part-time search and rescue unit. Yeah, and, right. And, I mean, a passion of my whole life ever since I was 12 years old was bushwalking, and orienteering, and regaining, and that was an absolute passion for me. And friends at school, when I was still very young, would you catch the train up to the Blue Mountains? The old train with the, you know, the, the, the old, oh, the old racks. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the beautiful country trains they had. Not the rattlers, <laughs> these are beautiful. And Oh, sorry, uh, I know the one. Yeah, I know yeah, the one you mean. Yeah, they yeah. were just glorious yeah. trains. Yeah. And we'd walk out to the ruined castle or yeah. to Mount Solitary. I love that walk out there. And, and just camp. This is when we're 14 years old, you know, and doing yeah. stuff like that. And, and so I've always, always had a love for the bush and walking. And um, when. And then um, even before I joined the job, I was into canyoning and um, other Oh, were well, you when you joined? I was 21. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, you're still young. young. Still young, yeah. but I'd I had a few years. Yeah. Yeah, caving. I think that's I did, a good move, hey. Did like, a lot of caving when, before I joined the job. Okay. I think it's a good move not joining straight out of school. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. not straight out of school, but I, yeah, I was relatively quick out of school, but not too Yeah. But not too quick. I, I had seen something and done some things, but yeah. the um as I mentioned, I joined the part-time rescue squad. And then an opportunity to come up to join the full-time rescue squad in Canberra, which was great. And I took it up straight away cuz Yeah. There is nothing. I could not believe that they'd pay me to <laughs> to to look for people in the bush who were yeah. lost. I, to go bushwalking, basically. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is, and and they'd give me equipment and everything like that. I oh, thought, oh, this is this is great. It's too good. Yeah. I think the places I got helicoptered in and out of, I went. You literally can't even pay for this if you if you yeah. had all the money in the world. You're not allowed to do it. But I got to do it. It was some pretty cool times. Yeah. Yeah, there's something. So how long did you do the SAR job for? Uh, four years all up. Right. No, no, it was only three, three years, three years full time. And back in that day, we did like the road accident rescue. Uh, yep. We did everything. Oh, so they were a full rescue. Yeah, yeah like full. A, yeah, we like had general truck. And, yeah. Yeah, right. I so thought that we must had have just been a search unit. No, no, no. We had um, it was full time. We had thirteen people full time. Gee, really? Yeah, because we did white That's water. A big unit. We did snow. We did road accident. We did industrial rescue. Right. We did everything for the whole ACT. For the whole of the ACT. Yeah, yeah. right. So. Um, it was a really tight unit, very, very professional, very dedicated yeah. unit. I was, I learned a lot about professionalism then, you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, how to look after equipment, uh, yeah, how right. to look after each other, and how to how to approach a job professionally and, yeah. and do the right thing. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, right. Is there any, um, you know, standout things that? You remember from your time in SAR or on the on the bikes or anything like that? You always remember your first fatality, yeah. and I remember mine. But uh, and that's always a shock. But then it is true you do get used to it. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, that was on the bikes. I mean, uh, and in rescue we were doing motors. Um, obviously, we were doing. Uh, Road accident the rescue, cranes, so yeah. extraction. Yeah. So you remember a lot of those things all the time. Um, it's, it, you know, you, you think, oh, does it affect you or not? I don't know. Uh, you, at the time, you said no. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I, I really love the training we did. You know, just the good times we had with the guys like Greg, who's here on the trip, yeah. um, and going out bush and doing some real quality, really hard training, like navigation training, but having some fun as well. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, I remember that. I remember those as the finer moments in the job, definitely. Um, yeah. Mm. I remember some pretty good... I mean, Canberra is... A lot of it is is is, is bush, so... Bush search and rescue is is one of our key things. Yeah. Uh, apart from say, see, white water rescue is not not a key thing as as this was. We did a bit of snow rescue. Yeah, too. I was going to say the alpine yeah, stuff. Yeah, we had and we, yeah. we were we did um, back up New South Wales police in yep. the ski fields and we were called on sometimes. Yeah, right. To to help out with them as well. So yeah, yeah I remember some searches for for kids and for elderly people. Yeah. If you look back over those days, what 
bikes, GDs, rescue. You have a favourite? Rescue for rescue for sure. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, there's still more story to go. So, yeah. But between those three, uh, I'd say rescue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bikes was more. You know, had the more immediate fun, but rescue was more satisfying. Yeah. And I think, like, going back to what you said, you know, that cliche, I'm, I'm doing it to help people. I don't think you can get closer to that than rescue operations. Yeah. I don't. That is true. Just yeah. kids with their fingers stuck in a bathtub. Yeah. You get called yeah. to that. Yeah. And there's a kid with his fingers stuck in a bathtub. You know, they go, okay, all right, what are we going to do here? I think the variety of the job was so good. You just never knew what you're going to get you called to. Yeah. Or kids with their heads stuck in the bars of a, yeah, a fence, you know. Fence <laughs> okay, so you get the jaws out to <laughs> open it up a bit and you pull them out. Or just those silly things really stick with you a little bit. They were yeah. great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very satisfying work uh, for the most part, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do after that? Well, I went to training after rescue, and I became a full-time trainer and a firearms instructor. Okay. And defensive tactics instructor, so we're in teaching all the lessons. At the league. academy in Canberra, or? Yeah, uh, yes, so yeah, to speak. Right. Uh, at a, a different site, but nearby, but yep. um, at Western Creek there. And so we were doing full-time defensive skills training. We we're also doing training not only for recruits, but also also for the special operations. I joined the special operations team at that stage as well. Right. Um, so, sorry, just for terminology's sake, special op is that like the New South Wales formerly TRG yep. State Protection Group type of yep. thing? So, at that stage, we had a group called the Special Operations Team, which is the tactical team. Yep. So, I joined that in about 95, 94, 95, I right. can't remember. And uh, it is our the, the AFP's version of SOG in Victoria, yeah. SPG or whatever it was. TRU or whatever they call it. In, yeah. in, in yeah. Uh, New South Wales yeah. and CERT. Yeah. We were Star. a part-time unit. There's so, so many names for that, yeah, the no. tactical units in Australia, isn't it? <laughs> but we, were, we were a pretty country outfit, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, we were a part-time unit. And uh, so you didn't have that level of commi commitment. Yeah, so it was just call okay. out. So you had to put down whatever uniform you were wearing and put on the black overalls. Right. Uh, yeah. So we didn't have the the quality of the training that say that we were so envious of the SOG. Yes. Victoria, right. which you know, and they were good guys and they'd yeah. come up and help us, but you know, we just didn't have the commitment that they did. Yeah. Or the professionalism. Um, so I was um, a trainer for them. So when I joined the the college, the defensive skills training team it was called. We we trained recruits. We trained the uh, the tactical team. Uh, we trained uh, outside agencies even in right. various conflict de-escalation techniques, like to parking inspectors and things like that. Okay. And uh, yeah, so and we. I suppose that like the AFP would have been involved in a lot of those other federal agencies yeah. sort of yeah. interactions that I guess we at a state level you don't really get the opportunity to mix in with because they're a federal. Entity like, yeah, you know, like like borders, like what, what's now border force or customs or whatever. I guess you guys would have done a fair bit with them. Uh, yes, we did customs as well. Uh, they had their own training unit though, so they, they we didn't cross too much with them. But it's more yeah. the units that that didn't have their own training team okay. or, or in regards to use of force, but suddenly decided um, like like. Um, uh, even postal officers, we need yeah, some right. conflict, you know, because we're meeting angry people and we haven't 
trained our people. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You would never put that together, would you? Yeah, right. Huh. So it was a very, a very good job. There was a tight unit. There was about six of us that working there. Ben McDevitt was our team leader, a, a guy I have a l immense respect for. Uh, one of the best team leaders I've ever worked for. He was a great guy. And uh, yeah, there was about six of us, and we we just never stopped. It was so busy in that unit. Right. Uh, you, like I said, you're doing recruits for the two weeks, and suddenly you're yanked out, and you're running sniper training out the bush with right. with the the marksmen's uh, unit of the tactical team, and then next week you're flown to Melbourne, and you're running high risk vehicle training for the detectives down there. Wow! And then you know you're flown up to Darwin to do something, and it was really good. It was always something happening, uh, and it was busy, really busy. Yeah. Wow. Good. I'd, yeah, that's a di that's a diverse skill set though. It was. You had I used to say you had so many hats. It was you just had a head that was you didn't have a head big enough to put yeah. on these hats. You know, but you must have had like ten different <coughs> duty bags with all your different kit in it. Yeah, and you were on call too, so you. I was going to say you were on call on for all of them. <laughs> so there was a difficult time there for me as well. And in fact, it was a watershed moment in my life. So in 1994, I was invited over to do, um, and, and if you were the best of the tactical team people that year, and I was this year, you were invited over to go to the Special Air Service in Perth. Yeah, okay. And do um, what's called a, uh, at the time it was called a, 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 a police assault group team leaders course. So what they did, they took two from every state and territory of Australia, and they flew them all over to Perth to do, really take, the SAS would take you and really hone you right. into a team leader, like to do briefings and to get a team and to really be able to run an oper a serious operation, yep. uh, assault, an assault operation. This course was uh, run under the banner of uh, agencies that don't exist, I can't even tell you now, under Secrecy Acts and yeah. all that sort of thing. Uh, and, and and on that course, which was very good, and I loved it, it was extremely, extremely difficult course. Have you, if you, have you been over to Perth at all? To the, Never. The, yeah, they've no. got a, oh, I don't know if I should be talking about this or not. Anyway, but during the course, I injured myself badly. Do you want me to move this? No, it's okay. You sure? Yeah. Uh, I injured myself, and I blew up my hand. You know about that, don't you? No. No. Yeah, right. I knew you were missing a finger, but okay. Yeah, that's yeah. so I had an injury. It was yeah. from a stun grenade. Right. It was on the very last exercise of the course, like three-week course, and the second last day, they had the final exercise, and we were running this huge... Um, uh, I will just pivot slightly this way. This huge scenario. Uh, and just... You're, you're sure you don't mean to move that out of the road? I, I can push, push it over it, that yeah, way. Yeah, push it yeah. away. I reckon I'll be able to push it. About too much trouble. Uh, yeah. Probably going to get a scrape. I think the wind's changed a little bit.
tell you now, I've never had to do this on a podcast before. <laughs> so, on the, the second last day of the course, um, we assault, We had our final assessment, I suppose it was called, and we had to assault an embassy, a mock embassy. Yep. And uh, uh, as part of that assault, uh, a stun grenade, a Nyko SF2, as it's called, like uh, detonated in my hand. Yeah, right. It was my fault. You know, I made a mistake. Uh, and I lost a finger, and I lost a lot of muscle in my thumb, and I lost uh, a nerve and a tendon in my other fingers as well. Wow. Yeah, right. So it was a pretty devastating injury. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I spent some time in Perth Hospital and then back to Canberra. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a... Yeah. <laughs> that's a big injury. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that affect things going forward from there? Well, all I wanted to do was get, get back to work. That's all I wanted to do. I mean, other people were whispering in my ear saying, hey, just relax, you'll never have to work again in your day in your life. But that... That was wrong. I, I wanted to work. You know, I didn't want to become an invalid for the rest of my life. There's yeah. no way. And uh, you know, I thought, no, I, I want to get back to work. I want to work, and I did. And so, ten weeks later, I was back at work, uh, and and with my hand all bandaged up. But yeah. you know, they let me come back. And you know, between the injury and you know, I had I had to have seven operations afterwards little microsurgery. Some lasted eight hours of microsurgery. Wow. They, they took a, a nerve, because I had no feeling in one finger that was remaining, they took a nerve out of my foot. So I have no feeling in the left side of my left foot. Right. And they transferred that into my finger. They took that nerve out and... God, I didn't and, know they and, could do that. Yeah, they can, yeah. Because they said, well, you don't need the feeling in your left side of your left foot. Um, trust us. But you do need feeling in this finger. Okay. Because that's what will get burned, and you know, oh, okay, touching yeah, things. Course. Where, yeah. Um, so yeah, they, huh. they did, that was a two-stage operation. They first had to create a channel for it, so they ripped open my finger and laid in a silicon rod, and sewed it back up. And six months later, I had to go back in. They opened it up and took the nerve out of my foot and laid the nerve in and sewed it up, and then sewed well, it back together. Well, where the silicon thing was, where the, the silicon rod came out, which had the channel. For the nerve. Wow. Yeah, and and and. That's, that's amazing. It. Yeah. So you you got back to like, did you get back to operational work? Yeah, I learned to shoot with my left hand. Seriously. And they took me back and they tested me, and I went back into the team as an operator shooting left-handed. Really. And then eventually I regained enough strength in my other hand to shoot right properly. <laughs> wow. Then I became a sniper, so... Um, yeah, well, it's not your index finger, so you're all good. Yeah, all good. <laughs> wow, yeah, okay. What's it like What's it like being a sniper? It's, I think it's one of those glorified roles that I'm sure it's probably not all that's <laughs> cracked up to be. It's about it's, being meticulous. Okay. And being very careful. And keeping good logs and, keep, and knowing your equipment and knowing the limitations of the equipment and the, and the limitations of yourself. Yeah. That's what it's about. And it's being about, if you're professional, it's about shooting often and keeping very accurate records and and of the weather and the route. It, it's it's quite tedious, a lot of it, extremely tedious. You've got to keep notes about every shot you take, the weather on the day, the wind, which round you're using, 
humidity even. Yeah. And logging every shot. Uphill, downhill, yep. all that stuff. All that stuff, yeah. yep. And I used to love that about shooting, actually. I used to do all my own um, reloads, and I used to love tweaking them by the, you know, half grain or change a primer or something just to make them a little bit tighter groups. I used to love doing all that. Uh, yeah, it is tedious though. Yeah, it's a lot of work, and I, can't, I couldn't imagine doing that for a job because <laughs> I used to do that for fun. It was good. But yeah. I did it when I wanted to, it wasn't my job. Well, the job itself was. Um quite varied i mean it wasn't only just shooting like accurately yeah you had to be able to stalk into a location yeah. and set up an observation post and then give accurate observations on a on a on a position so shooting was only one part of it the accuracy sorry was only one part of it and then yeah. a lot of it was um being able to get in position and give observations so yeah i did that for a while and then I rose to the position of sniper team leader briefly for about a, two years. That was good. So the one who's in charge of yeah. yeah right. But again, this is in the ACT police. So I mean, it's not quite the prestige of the <laughs> SOG, and that's true. I, do, I, I don't want to seem like I'm running it down, but it is true. Uh, that's yeah. still such a cool like. It, it's a very unique job to have done. There's not many people that train to do that job yeah. in the world. You know, when you when you look at it, and if you're honest with yourself, there's not many people in the world that get to do that no, job. Yeah, you're working a lot with the hostage negotiators and people like that yeah. all the time, uh, yeah. which is quite really interesting work. Yeah, I mean, we didn't we didn't have a lot of work ourselves, but some. Did you get deployed outside the ACT? Was that so? Is that do you um, cover? All the other sort of territories within Australia, like Jer Jarvis Bay or Jervis Bay or whatever it's called, I know, do you get called to those sort of things or is that...? At that time, no. Right. No, no, we were purely, purely so ACT. ACT Canberra yeah. sort of thing, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. never, I think after that they, they sort of expanded it to, well, I won't say the wise, but I know the wise. They expanded <laughs> it for the AFP to do more tactical roles. Right. Prior to that, they were relying on the state police forces and okay. so for that coverage, like area yeah. coverage stuff. And there yeah. was questions of not let's keep all the information with us, you know, not yeah. with another agency which we don't know. Yeah, right. I I would trust them, but sometimes I don't know. I wasn't <laughs> calling the shots, but yeah yeah. 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 Wow. So how long did you do that gig for? The, the, uh, the special sniper, operations. Yeah, the special operations. Yeah. Um, so it was probably, it was 12 years all up. Right. And then I, I finished and I went, uh, I got a call to go to close personal protection. Yep. Yeah, so I did a training course in uh, CPP, as we call it. Uh, and it was, you know, I love the course. The course was really well run by a bloke called Steve Hall, who I've got a lot of time for. Um, and after that, I just waited for a while back in the training unit, and they said, "Yeah, we've got a spot." I said, "Yeah, I'll take it." Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's, <coughs> I guess, that's your move out of out of full time training. Yeah. Yeah, and ACT sort of yeah restricted police. Oh well, ACT police. Yeah. 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 I had to, you know, I couldn't be on call rifle, you know. Yeah. Special operations anymore, but that's okay. Yeah. 
It's a lot to give away, though. I'm sure you missed it. Oh, yeah, you miss it, but what you're taking on is so much fun anyway. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, yes, not a bad not a bad trade. <laughs> yeah. All those, you know, you join the unit with the suits and going to find hotels. And yeah. You needed, you needed, like, four suits and, you know, custom-tailored, of course, and... Um, you had a, you know, CPP was a great job. Right. One of the funnest in my life, for sure. Yeah. Or f most challenging as well. So people that aren't from the law enforcement world, how would you describe what a CPP officer's role is and what is it like to go to work in that job? Uh, the job is... So the job for a CPP officer, close personal protection, is to offer the immediate bodyguarding of a very important person. Be that in in in, in regards to the AFP, that would be the prime minister. Mm -hmm. That would be um, uh, any minister who is delegated at the time. That would be uh, in my time. It was the Israeli ambassador, the American ambassador, and anyone and, and any visiting. IPP, internationally protected people. Right. So in the world, there's there's X amount, I can't tell you the number, of designated IPPs, internationally protected people. Right. So, and these people, generally speaking, in this convention that Australia has signed up for, when these people visit Australia, the government will give them, they are a guest of government and they get protection. Okay. So that could be, you know, all heads of, most heads of state. Yep. Not all, but most. And it may be others as well, kings and queens and things like yeah, that, okay. who are not heads of state, but royalty, say British royalty, yeah. who are not heads of state anymore, but, well, you know, but nonetheless would get uh, protection. protection. Yeah, right. So, so what, does that, what does that actually look like? So it, it depends on the threat level and it depends on the job. So, for instance, it would be a team with the Prime Minister. Yeah. Uh, it would be a team of people without going into too many secret details, but they would be working with him all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, with And that would be the same with the ambassadors. And, and visiting dignitaries, again, you'd look at the job and you would put on anywhere between one and four people. Okay. Uh, and they would then uh, be offering protection to that person. A lot of some, a lot of it is liaison, uh, and, and but also there's the physical... Everyone says the... Yeah. Because I was a trainer as well, because I rose to the ranks of being a trainer for this unit as well for about three years. So we used to talk in class. Everyone asked, oh, do you, do you, do you, do you give your life for these people? You know, the catch the bullet thing. Yeah. We said, no. Hollywood stuff. You'd never do that because you won't die. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're trained to die, you will die. Yeah, that's so a good point. So we said, you will never train to die. I'm not going to teach you if how you to die. If you get shot, you will live. Yeah, right. And you will keep going, and you'll save your principal. And you'll come back to work one day. <laughs> you, will, you, you do not die. Yeah, right. So we say we offered body protection, not take a bullet. Not a, not a was, human shield. That was an thing. American thing. But yeah, right. Human shield. So, yes, but you did everything in your power to protect that person, yeah. up until including body coverage. Okay. Which wow. means stopping rounds, potentially stopping rounds. If 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 that was necessary, yeah, right. Huh. But you don't die if you get shot, <laughs> ever. 
No, that's what the manual says anyway. So, where, so you would have traveled around a lot around the country in that role? Is that, that's like obviously a, a, a nationwide. And no, it's an international, international as well. role, yeah. I would assume. Yeah. International as well. So, yes, I got to know every Australian state really well, yeah, Melbourne right. especially, because I, I worked on the Israeli ambassador for a while. Right. Gabriel Levy at the time, great guy, nice guy, and his wife. Uh, but they treated us really well, okay. and they were nice people. And um, So we'd go to Melbourne is like the... Uh, there's more Jewish people in Melbourne than Sydney. Yeah. Uh, and so we'd go there all the time with the Pratts and the bloody... Uh, Good nicks, and uh, it was great. I, I never knew Melbourne before that, being a Sydney boy. Yeah, yeah. I got to learn. I got to know it quite well afterwards, uh, especially the machinations and the business world there too, with the Smorgans and the you know the Pratts and all those people. Um, and you're quite privy to a lot of these goings on, and that's sort of part of our training too. You never talk about what you hear. Yeah. You know, because you are privy sometimes part. to these things. Yeah, I was going to say, you couldn't not be sometimes, I'm no. sure. Well, no, you can't. If you're doing the job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was, um, I worked on the American ambassador for a while too. That was really good. Uh, but, and sometimes you get delegated to go, like um, Amanda Vanstone. Uh, okay. Would be visiting uh, as defence minister at the time, I think she was, or immigration, I can't remember, going to Indonesia. And so you'd, go along as a liaison officer. You wouldn't be armed. Okay. But you'd be going on there to liaise with the local security, the local police, making sure they're doing their job correctly or right. try to request for extra resources or whatever. Yeah, right. Wow. So that was a really good job. I love that. There's a lot of opportunities in the AFP. Because, um, I mean, like, you look at the, uh, I suppose, the potential job descriptions that are on offer in New South Wales and one of the other states and stuff like that's not on there. And I know they have, I know they have CPP people, but uh, I don't think it's to that same level. Yeah. So what what period of time are we talking about there? This is uh, 99 uh, till about, I was in protection, including witness protection up until about 2006. Okay. But also in that time was some missions overseas, so the AFP. So the protection was a great job. I loved it, the suits and the planes and the... Yeah, nice hotels. Know, the freaking fly points and the <laughs> lovely hotels and the, <laughs> that, that very, yeah, that very first-class sort of uh, chairman's club lounge yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. It is addictive in a way. Uh, and we were on the cusp of that. The, I suppose in about 99 was my first mission overseas. I got in doc, you know, the AFP offered that. So what's a, what's a mission overseas mean in sort of the policing world? I think most people yeah. understand what a military deployment is, but. It's a deployment. Yeah. We say mission, that sounds quasi religious, but it's more, it's just a deployment okay. and, uh, for anywhere between six months and three years, depending. Uh, and you, it's advertised, and you can apply for it. And, and if you get it, you you sign up for that for that what period of time, whatever yeah. it is. And yeah. Sometimes they're one off, or sometimes they're extended. Uh, it was very ad hoc in the early days, like in ninety, in the nineties, it was very ad hoc. And then into the two thousands, probably two thousand and one or two, 
the AFP got more got, got serious about it and established a unit called the International Deployment Group. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so I had some friends from New South Wales yeah. that jumped onto that. Yeah. So and we also advertised externally. Yeah. Because we needed, we did not have the numbers. Yeah, the numbers. Because yeah. we suddenly, if you remember, around about that time, <coughs> the South Pacific region sort of exploded with problems yeah. in Tonga. Yeah. And remember when the riots in Tonga. Yeah. And then there was Solomon Islands. Ah, oh, Solis. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, a lot. All these nations were very leery mm. of 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 Australian military, and they did not want Australian military help, but they would accept. Blue help. Policing help. So yeah. they wouldn't accept green, but they'd accept blue. Right. Policing help, because that was non-colonial uh, takeover. Ah. They saw if the military came in, it was... They were very... What are they know, up to? I learned a lot about regional politics at that stage. Okay. Uh, and they would ex- they very much accept uh, police help, but the green help, no. That's right. that's invasion of our country, sort of. That's yeah. how they felt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's a struggle asserting its its yeah. military might in the region. It's a different. So, it's a different thing, isn't it? Um, so that's why the uh, that is the major reason that we got um, uh, how many hundreds of millions of dollars of funding uh, after a Senate Edisman inquiry, and it was set up this IDG. Yeah, right. uh, on the on the back of that, these uh, Pacific nations would accept blue help but not green. And they said, we will make the, you know, we've got to bolster the AFP's effort here. Uh, and we advertised nation, nationally and, and, and took in a lot of good people from interstate. And you took a lot of people. I, yeah, know, I know yeah, quite a few yeah. people that did it. But we had like a thousand, a thousand, a thousand strong. Was just, it really? Just that unit. Wow. Yeah, yeah okay. in its heyday. Not and we had people, people in everywhere. Yeah. From Cyprus to Afghanistan to Africa to... Haiti to bloody uh, to Timor, we yeah. had a hundred people in Timor. Um, Jesus. And the Solis, so we had a hundred people there, and yeah, and then, then the mission in the outback, the Pleach mission, there was fifty there. What was that one? The mission called Pleach, the uh, assistance mission to the Northern Territory. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, that's right. I can't remember the year. Yeah. But uh, where we, uh, the mission went for about two years. I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. It could have gone longer or shorter. I I, I never went there, but um, I do remember that now. Yeah. yeah. So what did you do after that? IDG. Yeah. So IDG was sort of yeah, it was really good. So, then, so that was an honour again. Like you go on a deployment, come home, do your other job that you were doing, and then go back overseas again and flip flop between those things. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it was a full. Where time. did you end up going? I went to Cyprus. My very first mission was to Cyprus. That was in 99. It was only six months, and that was so good. That was not really a difficult mission by any stretch. It was a fun mission. The second mission I went to in 2000... What did you do there? Well, uh, you know, you're you're part of an ongoing UN peacekeeping force that manages the buffer zone between the Greeks and the Turks in the island of Cyprus. Right. So the island of Cyprus was divided in 1974 officially divided but prior to that they'd been having a lot of secular violence between the uh, very Greek and, and, and Turkish for, um, activists let's call it that uh, and, and the violence had been increasing and so there's a bloke called Samos, he was the head of the, the Greek res- so called 
insurgence movement, let's call it that. I don't yeah. know it's the right word. A terrorist movement. He was a terrorist. He really was. Yeah, right. And the Turks said, they said, look, you've got to quell this violence or we're going to invade. And the Greeks ignored them. And then in 1974, they did invade. And so they invaded and took over a third of the island right. before they stopped. And then the border was laid down at that time. Uh, and so the island was, and the island was cut in half, and it went right through the middle of um, Nicosia, the capital. And Nicosia is still, as we speak, the only divided capital in the world. Uh, wow! It, it is still a divided capital, as we speak. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. And so the UN was in the middle. Um, so, <laughs> so in the very early days, they just had a ceasefire. Yeah. But they were way too close, and it wasn't happening. They were still shooting each other, and it was going to outbreak into war. And they said, right. Increase the buffer zone. We're going to make a buffer zone, a no man's land, and we're going to put the UN in the middle, UN military in the middle, and also UN police to deal with the because the UN zone was actually quite big, and arable land and any sort of land in Cyprus is very valuable. So right. civilians needed to come into that Still land to, to it. farm yeah. it. Yeah, right. So the police were there to deal with the civilians C in that area. Aspect of it. Yeah. That's, okay. Hence, that's why I was I was there yeah, right. to assist the military. Dealing with civilians mm. in the no man's land. So we were, uh, so the military was huge. You know, the, I worked with the British uh, regiment that was there. It was four hundred strong. There's only ten of us, right, to help okay. assist them. And we went to the briefings every day and do all that fun. Is that where you come across the guy with the beagle? <laughs> yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yes. That's such a cool story. Yeah. You got to tell me that because. Well, every day, every day there was a briefing. And I'll never forget the briefings. <laughs> the British military were great. I love them. I really love them. I loved how you described their pomp. Like the, they were extreme the, pomp, but they, they knew it was a farce. To them, yeah. It was very Monty Python-esque. <laughs> they knew it was a bit of a show. <laughs> to themselves, they, they knew it, but they still, still did it. Still did it. Yeah. And they, they, every day there was a briefing. And I wasn't the team leader of the unit. The team leader was supposed to go there, Bruce. Bruce Hayward, the rat, we called him. It was his nickname. And he hated going. And he said, Pete, you go. Can you go, please, please? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you a six-pack of beer. I said, all right, I'll go. I didn't really like going either. But beer is good. So. But yeah. you, you, go, <laughs> you go to this briefing every day and you'd walk up and there'd be a bagpiper there and it'd pipe you in and the, and the colonel would be waiting there and he'd salute you. You had to salute like this and... Very, this is a very daily proper. briefing. Yes, a daily briefing. And you'd walk into the briefing room and your name would be on the seat. You'd have to sit down. <laughs> and there was like, and the poms were very good at this. They were so straight faced at, 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 at silly stuff because really nothing was happening over there. You're right. But okay, you sat down in your seat and then the bagpipes, the colonel would then enter formally. You'd stand up and sit down again. Colonel would go, yes, and he had a fucking be he had a beagle and a swizzle stick too, like this. You know, his beagle, so beagle cool. would be there. Issue beagle, we used to call it. Beagle would sit down. I don't know its name. <laughs> and he had a swagger stick. <laughs> right, intelligence officer, what's happening? And then huge map. Oh, tonight, you know, yesterday we had a fire here. It's just all crap, you know, here and here and here. With a stick. Yeah, and he'd say, this is. And then they'd say, um, they'd go through the whole briefing. And they go, right. What's the beagle doing? I don't know. Does it just sit beside him? Yeah, it just sits there. It's really well trained. Wow. And they'd say, um, 
they'd have a bit of fun at the end of the briefing. They'd say, right, um, we call upon the Australians for fa fun fact of the day. And so, I, you know, I, I, you'd, they'd, you'd be told the previous briefing that you, you had oh, to you're next. A, yeah, you're right. a what yeah, yeah. So I remember one, they said to me, I said, okay. I said, the fun fact, of, I said, Australian inventions, number one, the wine cask. The wine cask is an Australian invention, which yeah, it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. told them all about it. They can blow it up. Uh, that you can, you know, you take the wine out, and as the level drops, there's no air getting in, so the wine stays fresh. Yes. And then you can blow it up, and you can use it as a pillow, or you can blow it up and put it in your in your pack and use it as flotation as you cross a stream. You know, and they're going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> just little golf claps. <laughs> Bloody wonderful. Very you know, well like done, this. Sergeant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Little golf claps. That <laughs> was very proper. You know, like cucumber sandwiches and golf claps, oh, you know. That is hilarious. They knew, they knew it was yeah. taking the piss slightly, but they were so deadpan about it. Yeah, right. It was, I loved it. That's cool. And yeah. uh, the, so, oh, yeah, you had these every day, these things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that, yeah. But also, during that time, I got on, they said to me, would you like to go over to this the next British regiment that's coming in and train them in crowd control? We'll send you there for two weeks to England. And I said, yeah, I'll go there, do that. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up going over to England for two weeks and training British military in crowd control. I couldn't believe it. An like AFP in, officer in yeah. England teaching them about crowd control. Yeah, including drill, you know. How God would the... Met London Met not have that down pat with all the soccer hooligans? Because what happened was someone got in the... This is Cyprus only, so this is to do with Cyprus. The, the, the British military asked that question as well, and I said, look, the chief of mission in Cyprus said, we are the experts, and we're to do it. And they awesome. went, oh, OK. Done. We understand. That's an order. <laughs> <laughs> and, Perfect. It suits yeah, me. Yep. Because <laughs> the groundwork had been done uh. before me, and some of the AFP officers, like years before me, had got into the chief of mission's ear and said, look, we can do this. We're experts in crowd control. Yeah, Why right. don't you? And, and, and she said, yes, I order this. Excellent. And, and they said, oh, we understand. We accept that. Let's yeah. go on. Yes, it's an order. Let's move. Because they said, why not, why not Aaron? Um, <laughs> that so said, the chief of mission said, yeah. yeah. The boss said, oh, I love that. Um, so that was... Uh, it's cooling off quick, isn't it? That was great, sir. The opportunity to go to... Yeah. Yeah, you don't knock those sort of things back. That's rare. I'm happy with my new little fire pit. Does all right. I've just had it flat packed in the back of the car. Yeah, been pretty cool. Yeah, so how long did you stick, like, after... Um, after Cyprus and... Uh, where else did you go with the IDGs? I went to Timor twice. Right. So East Timor was a big thing, of course. Yeah. So in, I went there in about 01, uh, 00, sorry, to 01. Uh, did you miss the Olympics? Yes. Did I you? missed the Olympics, yep. Well, I would have figured you would have been hectically no, busy with your CPP. No, it was stuff. that or Timor, and I went to Timor instead. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah which right. I, I think was better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really enjoyed Timor. Went to a place called Akusi, my first deployment there, which is the enclaved area, an enclaved Portuguese port. So totally surrounded by West Timor. 
Okay. Uh, the only way to get in is chopper or, or 15 hours on a ship uh, or two hours on a chopper. So uh, wow. we, we were deployed there. It was fantastic. I met some great people. We had a really good time. Um, we were in charge of, at that stage, we were in charge of police. Like, so when Timor fell over, when Timor was, sorry, occupied for 25 years by the Indonesians, and then the referendum came, the Popular People's Referendum under yeah. Cecilia Bambangiguriano granted that, and the people voted yes. The people of Timor voted yes, and so he said, right, we were going. But the military, the TNI, uh, uh, weren't happy with that at all. Right. Because they've been fighting there for 25 years and yeah. they've lost their compatriots. And for what, they said. So when they left, they burnt down just about everything and they right. shot and killed all the intelligentsia. So anyone, right. anyone who was in a government or educational role, they were killed. And all the, every institution uh, was burned down and destroyed. So there was nothing. When the, when the, the Indonesians left, there was nothing there. Wow. So the UN had to come in and do that for them. They had to be the country for them. They had to be the government. They had to be the education. They had to be the police. And obviously yeah. uh, my job there was to be, yeah. be the police for them. Yeah. To, because people need um, certain things when they are recovering from this situation. They need, they need food, shelter, and they need a sense of security. Yeah. They need a reason to go on. They don't want to think that if I rebuild my shop now or my home, it's going to get burned down tomorrow. No, yeah. they need that sense of... It's worth progressing. It's, it's actually worth rebuilding yeah. because yeah. it's not going... These people, the UN's here, and they're going to stop, yeah. you know, the crime, and, and then we can actually rebuild now. It's worth it. Yeah. And that, so that's what we gave them, that sense of uh, to rebuild uh, back then. So it was a really worthwhile job. Um, there was no. Yeah, you've rules. done some amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, was very privileged to to do that yeah. stuff. I I would say. You've done you've done some absolutely amazing stuff. Let's have a quick break. Just like to take a moment to acknowledge the support we've had from our platinum sponsors, Police Bank, and the Australian Federal Police Association. As you'd understand, the logistics behind getting from Central Australia to Canberra are pretty big. And without their support, this walk wouldn't be possible. So thanks for getting on board Police Bank and the Australian Federal Police Association. I'm glad I've walked this over now. <laughs> I was walking over here with this steel thing thinking, ah, this is going to be worth it. I'm glad I've got a minute. So how many overseas deployments did you end up doing? Uh, f- four. Yeah, right. Four, yeah. First what did you do after that? Deployment-wise, I went to uh, the second deployment. So where you, you, Cyprus, Timor? Cyprus, Timor. But they Africa. Were four, five, Africa? Five, yeah, Sudan, yeah, the last one. So right. there's five missions, yeah. What was that like? Africa? Yeah. The most difficult mission I ever did by far. Right. There's no comparison. I, I mean, t- Timor was very tough. The second Timor, uh, we don't need to talk about the second Cyprus. It was so good. My family came over and we had so much fun. Um, they called it a mission. Um, the second Timor I did was a year. In fact, I spent 18 months 
living way up in the mountains with the hill tribes up there. It right. was great. I really loved it. I was running a team of investigators who come out of the college. Uh, so they'd be, we had the AFP training them down in Dili. They'd come back to their region, and we had about four of them, and we are training them how to investigate homicide, okay. suicide and rape yeah. and arson. So it was like a, a detective's team. Uh, I'm not, I've never been a detective, but you don't need those heavy level, high level skills to train these people. It was just basic skills. Yeah, right. It was very interesting work. We went, we did work from a lot of suicide, a lot of women committed suicide in Timor. Really? Uh, yep. What do you think caused that? Just the hardship or? Like, like causes suicide for everybody. There's no hope left. No hope. Mm. And um, they had run out of hope for whatever reason. It's a very patriarchal society there. Right. Like it's, it is very male dominated and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, we also did tribal warfare. So I've, done, I've had right. investigated one tribe attacking another village, killing a few people and wounding a few others and had to take statements. <laughs> and I could, could, I can read and write Bahasa quite well. So I can take statements in two languages, which I had to do for that trip, uh, for presentation to court. How long did it take you to learn that? Oh, about four years, yeah. Along the way, I, I managed to learn Bahasa, yeah. And not 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 fluent, but to a, like a three out of five level, but certainly yeah, enough, okay. to, enough ta to take a statement. take a statement that's suitable for court. Yep. Um, wow. <laughs> but um, so yeah, we did a tribal warfare. Yeah, they came down and they well, they tortured a guy to death. I don't know whether you want to talk about that sort of thing yeah, here yeah. right now. But Fine. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty... Even for me, who had seen a lot in rescue, Yeah. you know, people who have been, you know... you know, That intentional stuff's next level. Yeah, that was yeah. intentional, and you think, oh, God, how can you do that to somebody? Yeah. But they had cut his... Um, well, what they'd done, this particular bloke, was cut his Achilles straight off, bang, both heels, and made him crawl along the ground and slowly about a hundred cuts, just cut up his legs slowly, up into his glutes and his, his thighs and his glutes and then his back. It maybe took an hour oh, wow. or more, we worked out uh, from the photos and all that. And you, know, you see that there and you go, okay, that's pretty, when it's, like you said, it's different when it's an accident, but when yeah. somebody's done it deliberately, you yeah. think, oh, good, okay. The nastier side of human nature, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But they hold grudges over there. Right. Uh, so that was Timor the second time. It was really good. We're living up where it was cooler in the mountains. Um, malaria was a big issue. You had to draw water every day out of a well, and you know, it's like camping trip. It was really good. But you put on uniform. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had we had limited electricity, maybe three or four hours a day. I really liked it. Um, I think because the people were so nice over there, like the general people. Even with people. all that going on? Huh? Even with all that going on, they're still just... Yeah, the general people really looked, supported nice. you and, and yeah, right. um, they were on your side. They wanted just to get on with their lives and, yeah. and they wanted you there to help them. They, wanted, they actually wanted you there to help them. Absolutely, yeah, right. they wanted you there. Yeah, and, that's and, a good and, thing. And, 
Um, so that team on the mission was really good. Um, then, you know, you mentioned Africa. That was different. Yeah. What made that the toughest mission? They didn't want you there, for one thing. Right. You know, the hostility of the people there. They hated you. Um, and they weren't going anywhere. You know, this was yeah. a nation that had split from... So South Sudan was the mission. So it split from North Sudan only a few years earlier. Yeah. And a lot of the, the people who were intelligent went back north. And a lot of the professional skills went back north and left a nation with not much left. Right. A lot of roomy-eyed, malaria-ridden freedom fighters who were 50 years or plus old who didn't care. Yeah. Gave them an AK and said, you're in the fire brigade. Gave them an AK saying, you're in wildlife protection. Gave them an AK and said, you're now in the police. And no skills, no nothing. And our job was in to upskill the police. Yeah. Uh, and these were people who did not want to be upskilled. Right. They wanted to earn money. They wanted to, they wanted the freedom to, uh, to, to continue their operations in the community to get money without the observation of the UN. So they yeah. resented our presence badly. And their method of extracting was kidnapping. They'd kidnap somebody from the community, yeah. the community I was in anyway, which was way up um, in called Eastern, Equ uh, sorry, the Nile, Upper Nile State was the first place I was deployed, Upper Nile. The border, the police would go out, they'd find somebody, gratuitously just arrest them, absolutely make something up and say, right, you're arrested for fighting. Take them back to the cells. Put them in these cells, and these cells were horrid. I hated going to see these cells. They were this deep in urine and fucking oh shit God. and piss. They were ankle deep in piss and shit. They'd feed them nothing, and the only way they'd get out is if their family paid a ransom. Paid up, yeah. Uh, this was, it's kidnapping. That's all it was. By the cops? Yes, by the cops. Uh, and every day we'd have to go to the cells of this little town and take an inventory of these people and try to negotiate on behalf of the families to say, come on, just lower the price a bit. We need to get this guy out. And I hated doing that because, I mean, I did it, but the yeah. smell, you know, is fucking stench. Wow. And the, the, the suffering, I think, we go back to the police commander and say, come on, you know, can we lower the price for this guy? I think the family's ready to pay the ransom. <laughs> That's insane. And then we'd we'd get them released. And uh, I remember one day, there's this woman in the cell, and I said, "What what what have you been accused? Of? Who, who what's this woman here for? Oh, she's uh, aided adultery, aided and abetted adultery." I said, "What what? What does that mean?" Well, what happened was, adultery is a huge crime over there. Oh, was it? It, it is a very Catholic society. Okay. But yeah, and right. and so the north is Muslim. Sudan, and the South is Catholic. This is right. part of the big divide. So the South, but when someone gets married to a, a man, and a, a man buys a wife. He doesn't marry oh. a woman. And it could cost 50 cows, which is a huge amount of money. You know, so when he buys a wife, there's an expectation for the family, this is going to be a good bloody woman, all right? Right, okay. <laughs> and, and she will behave and do all the right things. So sometimes down the track... Especially early on, there's an adultery issue. Wow, that's, that's huge. A that's problem. a criminal. Right. That's a that is a, a, a crime. Right. Okay. A feeding him crime for a woman to commit adultery on a husband that he's paid fifty cows for her, 
is a crime. Um, so, but this one, aid in embedding adultery, was what happened was, so, uh, so some some bloke has said, look, to his sister, go around and ask this woman to come around and visit me, who was the adulterous wife. Right. Who she knew. So she said, oh, yeah, she had no idea. She said, oh, why don't you come around and visit my brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And she said, yeah, yeah. They committed adultery. And, and so the woman who procured the act, who went around to visit. She's guilty She well. was guilty. She was in prison. The others were in prison too. And... Um, but she was in prison. I said, "Well, she's she, she you know, she facilitated the uh, the act by going around and asking her." I said, "Oh, come on, you know." Gonna be a discount is, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So we did negotiate her release a little bit. <laughs> that is crazy. And the police at this station, there'd be say, I don't know, twenty or thirty police at this particular station we were in, small town. They. They were drunk on duty all the time. Right. They they used to brew this wine or beer. I'm not sure which one. The rice made from millet. Okay. And they'd go around the back of the station, they'd brew it up and drink it, and they'd be absolutely drunk on duty, like with an AK, and we were supposed to there be there to do training with them and that. And I'd rock up and say, look, today they're too smashed. They'd want to hug you and they'd oh, be God, friendly. And that, yep. And I'd say... Uh, wow. And I'd say, look... To the other team, the change between a man who's drunk and wants to hug you and wants to fight you can be like that. Yeah, and he's got an AK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on. And we're in his country. <laughs> yeah. But they got so drunk, they used to lock them in the cells. And the to cops. cool off, yeah. The cops were in the cells. In the pissy cells? Yes, when they got too drunk. Holy shit. And, uh... Yuck. <coughs> I can't... Oh, man. I... Ugh. So, uh, so cleaning was obviously wasn't part of their duties, cleaning out the cells. No, 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 no. We'd, we'd actually have to, the UN, we got a bloody uh, a pump, a shitter pump in to come and help clean out the cells for oh one day because we just couldn't stand it. We got the, there was an Indian military unit. We got them to get some pump in to help get, it, get rid of it all. But, uh, yeah, that was Sudan. It was the interesting mission. The um, When I returned from there, Matt, it was um, very difficult to re... re I never found it with Timor, uh, but I could not reintegrate in society. Right. And no how, what did that, how did that present with you? Like, what did that... What was everything, that like? When I came back to Australia, everything seemed fake. Okay. Like, I came back to Cronulla. I was, I was, I was living and working in Cronulla at the time. Everything seemed like a facade, like a play. People, people were moving around really quickly on phones and doing stuff and walking around. Right. I was going, "What the fuck? What's what?" This what? didn't look real. It didn't look real. Right. It looked like a play, like a setup. How can you be? How can you be so busy doing things? You know what's going on? Yeah. I, I physically wanted to stop people and say, "What are you doing?" Seriously, right. I wanted to. I, I had to restrain myself to go up to people and say. What are you doing? What's the hurry? What's going on? You know, it it seemed totally unreal to me. And and I I told my family never to say the S word, the Sudan word was 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 forbidden in the household. I I, I could not. It was painful to hear, and I didn't want to want to hear it ever again. Right. Yeah. 
And then if television came on, it was something to do with Africa. I had to turn off the telly straight away. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see it anymore. Wow. That's how difficult that mission was, yeah. How much time do you get from going to do something like that to going back to work did you get? We, get, uh, we got 13 weeks off leave, and that was apparently the time where you're supposed to uh, get well again. In 13 weeks? Well, yeah. Well, that was, you know, that was good. But when we came back, I do remember, they flew us to Perth. And they flew all these intel people over there to do our... We had a five-day de, um, debrief, debrief yeah, right. when you went to the doctor and you got your tablets to get rid of the malaria and schizomatia and schistomoriasis and all those guinea worms and whatever may be infesting you. I think every disease in the world is they've made in fucking Nile states and they export them. Um, but, uh, so another story before that was Janine, the police officer I was working with, we were partnered in this place. She suffered way more than I did. She'd come to work one day and she said, Pete, have a look at this. And she'd, she'd show me her wrist and it was dots, like dots close together. Yeah. And she said, that is over my whole body. Have a look at this. And there's dots. Oh my God. Over a whole body from, from toes to fucking head. What and she said, what hell? is it? I said, I don't know. I, wow. I don't know. I don't know. She said, I can't stop scratching. What do I do? It's three days to get out of our little village. It's a helicopter flight. You have to call in the helicopter to come and get you and then go to a place that's not much better. Then you get to Juba, which is really bad. And the nearest place after that was in Tebe in Uganda, where there's mostly an Ebola breakout anyway. Oh. So. <laughs> Just better off staying there, scratching away. It was, it was debatable. It was debatable. But um, so she suffered a lot. I think, I don't know whether women, I, I would say women get more skin irritations than men generally. That's a generalisation. But she got yeah. way more than me did. I yeah. did. But um, to get back to the Cronulla story, yeah, I couldn't, had extreme difficulty reintegrating. It was, it was a very difficult and quite a unique feeling to me to have no association with my country or my the society. What's your home? At all. Like that's your, I did not, there's no way I was a part of that. I was looking at yeah. it like, what the hell is this place? That went for three months uh, after. There's no, and then slowly I could start feeling to be a part of it. But before that I was thinking, no way. Do you think it's been worth it doing those deployments, going through all of that stuff? Every adversity, you gain some wisdom. Yeah. The worth or, 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 or not, I don't think you can judge it in those sort of terms. I think it just is. And you take, you take out of it, you know, I think you should just take out of it uh, what wisdom you can from that adversity. Don't, don't try to um, uh, balance it or, or, or you know, any, in any sense like that. Uh, yes, so the, uh, I think the uh, bottom line is yes, it's it's worth it because that's life. Yeah. But I've not done it because of the adversity. When we got there, every one of us, we talked about it within weeks of landing in this mission. 
we like later down the track, we would have all pulled out and gone home, right. but for the pride only. Right. There was a great um, stigma attached to pulling out a mission. Oh, uh, right, okay. If you pulled out of a mission, it was pretty it's clear, one. although it was never written down, you would never get another mission. Yeah. You know? And the, there's a massive amount of shame attached to that. Yeah. And therefore, a lot of pride to stay in mission. Yeah. That was the only thing that kept us there. We would have all left. It was that bad. It was really bad. So, but we stayed. Yeah. Um, the malaria was rife. Twenty-five percent of the people in my camp had malaria or had, had were recovering from falciparum malaria, not not vivax, not the the falciparum, the one that kills you. Right. The cerebral malaria. So, twenty five percent. Yep. So, a lot of people don't understand that there's, you know, there's four malarias in the world. The two most common are vivax and falciparum. Vivax is an Asian, and and falciparum is African. Right. Some South American too. The, and uh, sorry, the, the falciparum is the cerebral malaria. That if you take your medicine, you'll be okay. You actually recover more quick. You recover quicker than okay. the Vivax, the Asian version. But if you don't take your medicine, you're probably going to die. As opposed to the Asian version, where even if you don't take your medicine, you'll probably just be sick. You won't die. Yeah, right. <coughs> so, um, God Almighty! <coughs> I wouldn't have wanted to do the risk assessment for that before. <laughs> <laughs> then there was a typhoid. There was typhoid over there as well. Wow. And Janine had typhoid and malaria at the same time. She was so sick. They took her to a hospital in Juba, which was run by Cambodians who spoke no English at all, and she had no idea what they were trying to give her or do, do to her or anything like that. <laughs> I thought, God. That's insane. So, before it gets too cold, where do you go from there? After um, Sudan, I um, gravitated to Cairns' office, yeah. I left and I wanted something quiet. I didn't want anything else yeah. left, yeah. And then I left after that, yeah. I, I resigned. Right. I left, yeah. Yeah. What were you doing at Cairns? I was just working at the airport, just very basic stuff. Yeah, right. Looking after people's left baggage and patrolling the airport. <laughs> it was very mundane. I didn't mind. I liked my Probably what you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That would have been... Uh, <laughs> you've had a uh, hectic career. That's... Um, it's hard for me to... It's hard for me to understand how many different things you've done. Because I... I like, from where I've come from, those opportunities aren't even available, but let alone to have done them all. <laughs> that's some... Uh, that's crazy. That's... Uh, that's, uh, that's... That's something. That's something. Yeah, you was... must feel... Uh, content with how much you feel. Yeah, privileged. Yeah. I, I mentioned yeah. the word privilege before, and I do feel that way as well. Lucky. Yeah. Lucky to have to have been there at the right time and the right place to yeah. have taken advantage of those opportunities, definitely. Yeah, yeah. right. Because they're all, they were great opportunities, you know. Yeah. Um, even though there was severe adversity in some of them, I don't regret it now, right. no way. I wouldn't regret, I mean, Sudan was the worst and I don't, I wouldn't rewrite my own life to take that out. Right. Even in consideration of how tough it was. 
why would you do that? I mean, yeah. you know, that that's part of your life now. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't undo it, can you? you, you no, but you, it was... Yeah, it was. You can't yeah. undo it. That's, um, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, wow. would, you, would you undo any of the tough parts of your life? Yeah, I've often wondered that, to be honest with you. And um, I, there was a long period of time where I definitely would have given every bit of it away just because I was struggling so much and seeing what that was doing to my family, I think... Um, was enough for me to want to give that away. But I think now that I'm where I am now and, you know, family's still cracking along and probably stronger for it, uh, for what they've been through. Um, yeah, I do wonder now. Actually, um, you know, I, I think now that, I've, now that I'm sort of a bit calmer about it all, I think I look back at it and go, I did a lot of good work in the day. You know, I helped a lot of people, and I've paid a price for it. There's no doubt about it. But I, um, uh, you know, I'm out here now with you. You know, that's part of the story, isn't it? Like as you said, that's that's I'm here, and it is what it is. And um, yeah, there's a big part of me now that's, um, you know, I've had opportunities now come about because of poor mental health, effectively, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And, you know, I'm enjoying those, those uh, opportunities now and, you know, doing what we're doing right now, you know, recording, recording conversations with amazing people is bringing me so much personal reward and particularly just lately in the last few days, believe it or not, even when we've been at Udinadatta, I've had two emails from uh, uh, one ex and one current police officer uh, just telling me how much the podcast stories have helped them with where they're oh, good. at. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and then when I get stuff like that, I go, yeah, it's actually worth it. And, and, and it sort of feels to me like I'm still helping people, if you know what I mean. Like, that's sort of how it, it's sort of, there's a lot of reward in what I do now. And, um, you know, being part of this walk, it's, uh, it's rewarding uh, within itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the walk for you, what do you hope to get out of it? Uh, no, no, I have no, no. I sort of joined it towards the end, I suppose, when, when I spoke to Vince one day and he said, I called him on a whim just one day okay. just to catch up. Yeah, Because right. we'd been buddies since the early 95s. We were working. Oh, wow. You def- guys all go back that far. Yeah. yeah right. The unit I joined, the training unit, when we did all the SOT training, the firearms training, the recruit training. Yeah. So Vince was part of that team. Right. So that's where I know him from. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so that was 95. Uh, and we kept in contact after that. So I rang him recently uh, and he, then he mentioned this walk and I went, yeah. oh, God, okay. I said, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I'll come go. along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to think about it for a bit because I was trying to process yeah, it. And yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll come along. So I was sort of, a, you know, I was a late starter because he had all this stuff done. Yeah, it was, go, what was, the hell? it was on a roll, I think, when I you came along. I wasn't privy yeah. to the yeah. early days of it, uh, yeah. the evolution of it at all. I, I sort of bought in late and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll come along. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, but you know, why? I don't know why not. Yeah. Um, so, what's it like to have your dog here? That's what I'm wondering. Because <laughs> I, literally, I got a video of my dogs in the backyard today, and they brought me undone, and I, I miss them terribly. But uh, 
I think I've taken a lot of video of Misty and Sabre and Margie, the dogs on the walk, and I, I'm, I'm enjoying their company even though they're not my dogs, but what, the, the dog companion for you? Because there's certainly days that I have where I'd just rather be with my dogs than people. Yeah. Um, that's most days, to be honest with you, but like, there's days when I probably can only tolerate my dogs and I don't want to go anywhere. So uh, is that the same sort of thing for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's it's absolutely fantastic having Misty yeah. uh, along with me. Uh, I was, you know, I do a lot of travel still right. in retirement uh, and mostly... Um, so I probably need to mention, Matt, if this is still part of the podcast, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably poignant to subject matter at hand that um, like in 2000 and just before I left the AFP, no, it was after I left, the, I left the AFP in 2017 and my wife left me uh, uh, okay. the, then and, and I don't blame her for that. Uh, I was pretty messed up yeah. uh, and, and I was a different person than I am now, I believe, I believe. It's hard to self-judge these things. It is, yeah. But uh, I certainly don't blame her for leaving me. Uh, um, and we sort of, there was no reason that infidelity or anything like that going on. That just, so she left and we, we stayed friends. We, um, you know, we we helped each other out when needed, like friends do. Yeah, right. And generally, and so four years later, we're back together now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. it's come in a bit of a circle. Well, good luck to you, because that's not often the story, is it? No. There's so many people with, uh, uh, you know, their own struggles, uh, you know, in, in the circles that we're in, in the emergency services and policing worlds that, um, you know, that unfortunately is not normally how that pans out. <laughs> and I, I often say, too, that I'm very lucky to have had the um, very unrelenting support, I think, from my own wife and, and kids uh, yeah. through, through everything that I've gone through. And she's sort of, yeah, and I, I, I definitely got to that point where I went, she's going to go. Like, I'd go if I was her. Yeah. yeah. I, I used to think that. And I know there was a period, in to a period of time where my kids were actually asking her to go. And they could all get it, just get out of there. I was too, I was too hard to be around. And... Um, Ah, oh, man, that was hard to hear. When they told me about that, that was really hard to hear, uh, just how much it was affecting them. And I, and I don't, like, as you said, it's very hard to know how hard you are to be around when it's No, it's self-judgment is the hardest judgment of all. Yeah. But the reason I mentioned that, Matt, was that um, in regards to Misty, you know, yeah, she, she now, when I do travel, and I do travel now in my spare time, it's a funny thing too, Matt, I, I have to talk about travel because... Uh, the psychologist said to me, because I've seen psychologists, said, why do you like travel so much? Because I travel to third world countries all the time now. Right. And she says, well, I know the answer, but what's your answer? And I said, well, I just, you know, well, I said, what's your answer? She said, because that's where you did your formative work was in third world countries. That's yeah. why you're attracted to them. So I travel to Laos and Cambodia and to various other countries uh, often because I just enjoy being in that more 
environment where I did a lot of good work. Okay. You know, it's, uh, do you think it's got anything to do with the arduous nature of living in those environments or is it yeah. more about just the people? Like, bit of both. Right. bit about the real people doing real living their lives and not worrying yeah. about too much. Right. The simplicity of that sort of life, you know, that, that it is very free from all the constraints that we have in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the simple people getting on with their lives. They're very honest and real, and yeah. I think the life there is very honest and real. Um, but so when I do that, my ex-wife minds Misty. Okay. So that's why oh. I say so I have to go without Misty, and it, it really hurts me a lot when I yeah. do that travel. I can't take Misty obviously to Cambodia or to Laos or to uh, Myanmar or to anywhere. So. This is one of the first trips I've got to take her on, is extended it? Okay. trips. I so it's like... really good. Right. So that's it's, it's a long-winded yeah, answer, yeah. sorry. But um, so it's really good to have, you know, because the biggest thing I worry about when I travel is, is Misty. How she but, yeah. but here I don't have to worry. Yeah. I don't care if my home burns down. I don't, well, I, I don't <laughs> mind nearly as much as if Misty was in yeah. trouble or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good just to have the air in the night time, you know. She's yeah. she's a She's you know, cool. Yeah, she's yeah. a good dog. She's a big sook. Well, in a funny way. Yeah. She's gorgeous. But I, I tell you, I see the I see the personalities of the dogs here and I'm like see a little bit of mine in in all of them in some way, shape or form and uh yeah, man, I tell you, it makes me miss them. I uh Yeah. Yeah, actually my uh my I I I think I told you I've got a border collie, and um, she's like, I guess my dog in the in the three that we've got. And um, yeah, when I was really crook, she was just amazing. Like there was, she was just honed in on something not being right, and wouldn't leave me alone. And you know, when I was like, if I'd had something that had rattled me or whatever, she would just she'd be, make such a racket at the back of the house to need to come in, and then she'd come in and she'd just put a paw on you or lean on you or whatever and just be there. So it's just amazing, you know. They're, they're, there's something else. There's next level. There's a next level thing with dogs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but there, there is something else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've had a, a long chat. The sun has set or just about and the, the night air is setting in. Well, thank you very much for your uh, your open conversation about so much more than I actually thought. I uh, that's blown me away how much you've actually fit in that career because we've been pretty busy on the walk and I haven't, we haven't really had time to. Well, we've got to know each other, I think, uh, across the board as a group, but um, you don't get too much level of detail in a lot of things so far. It's early days, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I think, uh, and uh, yeah, what an amazing story. That's uh, that's that's someone else. Hey, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, thank you. You've thank been you. listening to the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast. People on their own journey for the awareness of mental health in our first responders. Thanks for listening, and please remember to support our foundation by going to the webpage at www.hearttoheartwalk.org. That's www.heart the number two heartwalk.org, or just Google it.